All right, on the count of three, who's your favorite Beatle? One, two, three. George. Paul. I don't know the Beatles. George is a great answer. I can't believe I even got the name right. Oh I, got, I, got, I named a Beatle. There you go. Hey, guess what? What? Julian <laughs> Fensavale. Patrick Hines. Ba -da -da. Oh, my goodness, fam. Hey, you know what I'm going to suggest? What? Join us over on the Patreon. Okay. We've got over 400 full ad-free bonus episodes for you to download and binge wow. right this second. That's a lot. Yeah, you get them all the second you join. You can join on Spotify. That was, like, not a thing for a while. But oh, yes. You can just go uh, search TCO Patreon feed on Spotify. Get it there. Tell them some of the series that we've covered there. We've done Wild Crime and Bad Vegan and that Gacy thing on Peacock and Killer Nanny yeah. we just finished. What? I, what's the, I, I can't leave you. Don't leave me. Never let him go. Never let him go. The, yep. the gay one from Hulu, which I was obsessed yep. with. Uh, wild Crime, Love Fraud. I mean, going back to like Don't F with Cats, Tiger yeah. King, Lorena. Remember Lorena? I do remember Lorena. Re Relentless. Yeah, Relentless, which was Relentless. Basically, we take all the series from like Netflix and Hulu and we do them episode by episode yeah. over there on the Patreon. It's a really fun thing. You also get after parties where we like take your questions. We do advice. It's just more GP and me. Yeah. If you want us to, who could blame you? Oh, as boy. I used to say all the time. used to say. Girl, what are we talking about today? So this is a show called Crimes of the Century. Not yes. to be confused with Crimes of the Centuries by Amber Hunt. Correct. This is not related in any single way. No, it's a television program yes. called Crimes of the Century. Yes. And this episode is about John Lennon. One was world-renowned among the greatest musicians of the 20th century. John Lennon had charisma. He was just special. John Lennon was my favorite Beatles. The other was a lonely kid from Georgia with no particular talents and no real direction in life. Everyone said he was a nice person. He wanted to bring attention to himself. They were as different as night and day. Two men on intense personal journeys that converged in a single shocking act. I took five steps and fired five shots. I literally held John Lennon's heart in my hand. It was an unthinkable crime that left millions in mourning. The murder of John Lennon. So we open December 8th, 1980, New York City. Police respond to reports of a shooting at the Dakota, which is, an, they describe it as an exclusive apartment building in Manhattan's Upper West Side. This building is iconic. It's legendary. I mean, like, they get to it later, but it was like the, the exterior, and they shot the interior for some of Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? And the exterior. And the exterior. But what was, okay, this is like a throwback, but we did a documentary where the cult leader was actually in Rosemary's Baby. Ruth Gordon ran a cult? <laughs> But um, no, we did. I, now, this is just occurring to me now, but the Dakota is famous, oh, famous and it's iconic. And there are pictures of it from like the 1800s when it's yeah. the only building on the Upper West Side. But it's where John Lennon and Yoko Ono live. Right. But we start off comparing John Lennon and the killer. And it's like, one of them was a beetle. The other one was a murderer. They were as different <laughs> as night and day. And I'm like, they sure were. Yeah, they were. sure were. Do you, before we get started, do you know the like really big conspiracy about the Beatles? And about how Paul McCartney isn't really Paul McCartney. Yes. And the whole thing is that he died and they replaced him or something. They replaced him with someone who's like an excellent songwriter, uh -huh. can do the harmonies, <laughs> has the chemistry with John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a theory, if you really go down the rabbit hole of it, where they were like, there were like backup Beatles, like in case this happened. Oh my God, And I'm like, really? so you just happened to find four guys that are exactly the same, that look like them, the same four exact backup talent. backup Beatles. Oh my God. And so the Paul we know, according to people who are wrong. <laughs> Is not like Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney. And my mom uh -huh. like met someone who my mom loves the Beatles. Okay. And my mom like met someone who believed in this and she like will not stop talking about oh it. Oh my god. Like really? I saw her the night she was like, I 
Oh, they, <laughs> they think Paul's not Paul. Like, I, I don't understand. Even I know that. Like, Paul's real. I know. This, is, where, this is giving me very Dave energy. Remember that movie Dave with Sigourney Weaver and Kevin... Kevin... Klein? Klein, where he was like the fake president. The president had a heart attack, but he looked like the president. So he was is like the fake... Is that what that movie's yeah, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was so good. Oh, my God. I also do want to say one more thing. I'm really, really sorry. One of my friends, Nick, his mom... Like was in, grew up in London while the Beatles were like before they came to America. Oh wow! She's like in a hard day's night. She's oh my in god, a lot of really? that. Old, she's like a teenager in 1964. Oh my god! She literally wrote the book. Like she wrote a book about her. I think it's called like a Curious Case of Beatlemania or something. Oh my god! And it's all of her stories about like meeting all the Beatles several times and how there was like no security back then. She's like one of the girls chasing them down the street in a hard day's night. She's one of. The, she's in like all of like the front row of the girls like screaming and crying. Wow. Ursula's in them. Like she grew up like just in the time of how famous the Beatles were in before they came here. That's so crazy. I was not a Beatles person. I'm not really yeah. like a beat. Are you? I'm, I'm, uh, don't like quiz me on their catalog, but uh-huh. I love and respect them. I can like have a conversation about the you Beatles. Can, you're amazing. You can do anything. You really can do anything. Real hot take. I, I'm like, <laughs> I like the Beatles. I could not. Are, if I that... got cornered at a dinner party and all they wanted to talk about was the Beatles, I'd be like, are they, which one of them is Amy no, and Emily? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On. Amy and Emily and, and George and Ringo. Oh my God. Anyway, we learn. Five shots have been fired. All but one found their target. So I grabbed the guy around the neck. The doorman, Jose, said, he's the one. He's the only one. He shot John Lennon. I was totally in shock. I threw him up against the wall, and I said, you did what? We meet Officer Steven Spiro. He's like the first one on the scene. This is where Officer Steven, in all of his New York glory, shoves the killer against the wall and goes, you did what? <laughs> you did what? I know. Like, I know. Oh my I God. also love that, like, doorman Jose, is everyone remembers him. Yeah. He, I he, mean. He's talked about a lot. Yeah, he is. We learn, of course, that former Beatle John Lennon has been shot with four hollow point 30 caliber bullets at close range. They rushed him to nearby Roosevelt Hospital, but it's too late. And they say shortly after 11 p.m., the emergency room doctor pronounces John Lennon dead. Yeah. And so, like, the city is in shock. The world is in shock. It was a huge... I can't imagine. Yeah, I think it was a huge blow, not just to music fans. It was just, he. they were such icons and yeah. like just in pop culture. I, I mean, John Lennon. Learn later that it was 1970, I think, when they broke up and this is 1980. 1980. So it's only 10 years later. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and they were all making their own music too. Like yeah. they were still, you know, everyone still knew who they were. Yeah. They didn't like fade away. No. You know? So the killer is identified as Mark David Chapman. He's a 25-year-old fan and drifter from Hawaii. Only he's actually from Georgia, but okay. He, like, had been living in Hawaii. He, like, was in Hawaii for a couple weeks before this happened, but he's from Georgia. He has a Georgian accent. Like, he's from Georgia. But they tell us that, like, there was, you know, in looking in his background now, there was nothing there that would indicate he'd be the kind of guy who would assassinate a pop star. Yeah, I mean, it's a pop star. Was he not a pop star? I mean, I guess, sure. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not Britney Spears, but, like, it was the popular music of it's, it's true, like they were, but it's just so fun. I'm like a pop star, like I know. Um, I know. It's, it's, pop star John Lennon. I don't think like I, it's so many ways you're not wrong, but to hear those words all in one sentence yeah, yeah, and yeah, one yeah. breath feels odd. But it sounds like they interviewed everyone the killer has ever met, and yes. everyone's like normal, regular. Everybody here liked him. And he was always very, very peaceful, and he was just a fine young. Man. I couldn't Easy. have asked for anything better. Most of those can't believe he's the same person charged with killing John Lennon. Everybody that we interviewed, and there were a lot, everyone said he was a nice person, not capable of doing something like this. 
everyone has amazing things to say about him. And it reminded me, like, this is not the Menendez father. Remember, no. like, it's 78 character yes. witnesses. Yeah, he didn't totally. so much as hold a door open for anyone. <laughs> wouldn't say bless you when he sneezed. Like, the guy, they were yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, I'm out. Like, yeah. no one had a nice thing to say. Apparently, this guy... Like, his friends all said nice things about him. And just, like, what happened? We'll get into it, but we get the background on the Beatles. You know, we we learned, like, do we have to go through this? Like, during the 1960s, the Beatles were the biggest rock group in the world. I think there are plenty of people who listen to our podcast who don't really know much about the Beatles. I'm me being one of them. I mean, you know. Like, the fact that they were the biggest rock group in the 60s is about all I could tell you. Wow. They sang the theme song to Life Goes On, that Patti LuPone TV show. Uh-huh. Oh, bloody. Oh, except Patti that. LuPone actually sang it because well, yeah. when given the choice between the Beatles and the Patti LuPone, I'm sorry. Patti, Patti, but Patti. Pat, and Patti LuPone agrees. <laughs> when given the choice between someone else singing or Patti, Patti LuPone, singing, Patti's Patti, picking herself Patti, every time. Not, not a contest. She's going to bet on herself forever. 100%. And that's a, a nice way to live, I think. Yep. But no, like their their influence and, and popularity just cannot yeah. be like there. It was unparalleled, like musically, socially, politically, politically, culturally. I guess I just don't know much about them. Like, were they political when they were the Beatles? I know that John Lennon became political later. Yeah, no, they definitely like a lot. Of, yes, absolutely. As they as they evolved, like of course, you know, like the mop tops, like the black uh-huh. and white photo, you know, them on Ed Sullivan, like yeah, that kind of stuff. But then when they evolved and started to have like more of a voice, then sure. Okay, great. You yeah, really yeah. you really could hold your own in a conversation about the Beatles. I guess you really could. At least with me. But they say they were the touchstone for everything that was going on in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, they were, you can't, Five seconds of Googling. If you oh, right. don't if you don't know the importance of the Beatles, like it's not very hard to find uh-huh. any proof of that. Well, and I do think that their sound kind of changed music, of right? Course. Like that oh was my God. that was like the, one of the big like transition points in music too. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Be- and because John was like traveling the world and learning about different cultures and different things, and so like a lot of that music that a lot of that influenced their their music too. Yeah. Among the millions of American kids who worshipped the Beatles was a shy, reclusive teenager named Mark David Chapman. He was an especially fervent fan of John Lennon. And they say he was an especially fervent fan of John Lennon. Yeah, I guess everyone, like, had a favorite Beatle, and yeah. John was was the killers. And so the Beatles, like, as they got more and more famous, or as they also grew up, like, remember, they were so young How when it all started. How old were they? Like, do we know? He was 40 when he was killed. Weren't they, like, 20? You would think. I mean, if they were, if they, so he was 40 in 1980, which means he was 30 in 1970 when they broke up. How long were they together? Like, a decade? Yeah, they were, like, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. Oh, my God. In 1964. Can you, like, yeah. can you imagine that no. kind of, like, global no. phenomenon? And success. just like if you like look up the footage of the the teenage girls and yeah. their fans. I mean, it looks hi- fake, hysterically. Yeah, people fainting, getting pulled fainting. out on stretchers. Yeah, it's like, like me at an Indigo Girls concert. Right? <laughs> of course, I just think about Bye Bye Birdie, which was also Elvis. I just like snorted so hard that it hurt my nose. Did you? Are you okay? I think I'm okay, but it really hurts. Should we take a break? No, we're good. Okay. Should we call Patty LaPone in here? <laughs> she has a cure for everything, I think. Patty LaPone. She has a cure for everything. Right? Oh just just ask her. I'm sure she'll tell I'm you. I'm sure. I think most of her cure is just everyone shutting the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you use your phone during a performance. Listen, that she's fam, if you don't know in. about this, you can find there's um there's a whole like YouTube thing about Patty Lapone. There like, are many videos of her yelling, yelling at, at audience members for like being on. Who do you think they, you are? I are, mean, are, are, are. <laughs> and it, like it becomes a disco Patty Lapone. Right, moment. then they like auto tune it. Yeah, it's which so I'm sure good. she's very insulted so. about. <laughs> 
You hate her. Uh, no, I just... <laughs> She's someone I could for sure hold my own in a conversation about. Of course. No question. Patty Lapone. I know. Legend. So, like, as time goes on and the Beatles are getting more and more famous, they're also super open about using psychedelics and, yeah. you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and all that. And so we learn, like, some the narrator or whatever says, like his idols, the killer begins experimenting. Yes. So, just wanted to plant that seed yeah. before Yeah, so we... put a pin in the killer, because right now we meet former Manhattan assistant, district attorney, Kim Hogri. Mm-hmm. Kim is a man. The defendant described that there was period of time in his life when he was more of the hippie nature, tried experimental drugs as many people during that period of time did. But in 1971, Chapman becomes a born-again Christian. He quits drugs and rejects rock and roll, the Beatles, and John Lennon in particular. So he went from being his, like, hero idol to, like, a bad guy. And this is when, like, not just because John Lennon is a rock star, which, like, being a born-again Christian in this guy's mind is blasphemous but like you know songs like God where he's like I don't believe in magic uh-huh. I don't believe in this and like it's quoted in Ferris Bueller where Ferris at the beginning is like to quote John Lennon I don't believe in the Beatles I just believe in me uh-huh. like he the song is about like idol worship and false gods and like whatever so like I think that's a line that gets lost in that song well it's like Mark you missed the whole message then it's you like, know what I mean I, it's like I don't believe in tarot I don't believe in Hitler I don't yeah. believe in Buddha I don't believe in Beatles I believe in me I believe in Yoko like that's the point right? wait a minute that, these are lyrics from the song yeah you really know more than you think you do about the Beatles. Is that right? You really know a lot more <laughs> well, than you think you do. But it's famous because, like, the famous quote of John saying that the Beatles are more famous than Jesus. Yes. Like, yes. that's where it all ties in to uh-huh. this. Well, because somebody says, like, he was misinterpreted in what he was saying. It was just that, like, because they were a global phenomenon. And remember, that didn't happen that much back no. then. Like, he was just saying that more people listened to the Beatles than to Jesus. He wasn't under- wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> I understand how, like, invoking Jesus' name can sound controversial to people. I get right. it. And because I think it wasn't video. He was just, uh-huh. like, quoted in the paper. So I think it, out of that context or whatever, or in a magazine. Yeah. And then, like, you know, the killer also didn't like the song Imagine. I'm like, wow, you're offended by Imagine. Because what I like also if I hear that song one more time, it'll be the end of everything. Remember that whole thing? I, in the pan- I didn't even watch that video of oh all the God, celebrities like crying, singing Imagine. I just can't. Please, I can never hear it again. Like I, but that and Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. I just oh can God. never hear it again. I <laughs> so, love that song, but like too. Torn and Imagine, just please stop. Yeah, but th- like what John was saying, you know, Imagine no religion and all that stuff, and and now that the killer has is a born again Christian, he's like yeah. no religion. Oh yeah. my God! But I'm like, are you telling me that religion hasn't caused problems? I Come on. Come on. But now and I'm a spiritual see, person. I'm just saying. We see this interview with the killer on Larry King from 1992. I was like, what is this interview? Oh, it's Larry King. It's of Larry course. King. Of course it's Larry King. Yeah, yeah. And he just says he became a Christian when he was 16. Well, I became a Christian when I was 16, Larry, and, and that lasted about a year of genuine walking with him. Through my life off and on, I have struggled with different things, as we all do. And at those times, I would turn to the Lord. And in those times, he would turn to the Lord. Like, he took it really fucking serious. Yeah, I think that's... When you are a born-again Christian or you sort of dive in, I think that's what happens. You you commit, like, 100%. Yes. And this is where it can be dangerous because now you're also, like, John Lennon is, like, a target now. Yes. And also, I just want to say, I think John Lennon would appreciate this because he doesn't like, you know, like, false idols and uh-huh. hero worship. I just want to say, like, John Lennon wasn't 100% the best guy. I'm uh-huh. not saying that this is bad, but, like, I think we should be honest about who he was. I don't know anything about this. Um, he was just uh, admittedly very violent with his exes, with women. 
women with his kids. Like his kids have, like Sean Lennon has spoken out about this. Oh, and wow. so he's like admitted, I think it was um, like in Playboy or some article where he's like, you know, I used to be cruel to my woman, <gasps> physically any woman. He also like beat someone up because as John said, quote, he called me a queer. So I battered his bloody ribs in. He was vocal about. He was so like offended at being called a queer. So, and he says like, I, you know, I've, I'm a lot older now and I like, I was a very, I'm a violent person and I regret that. But yeah. I'm just saying like. Well, it's good to know the whole thing. Right. That's yeah. all. It's good to know the whole picture. And I'm not saying one thing deserves another. I'm just saying. No, of course. Of course. So it's 1970. The Beatles break up. John Lennon embarks on a solo career with his wife, Yoko Ono. Right. People didn't like that very much. No. Is that right? I don't know anything about this. I'm I'm pulling that out of my butt. I don't know for sure that people Uh, didn't like it. Lots of misogyny that Yoko broke up the Beatles. There's a whole discourse about how like, oh, there's a woman in the room. It's got to be her fault. Uh Uh-huh. One time, my friend who used to take me on like fancy vacations, we were, and he paid for everything. This was like when I was in my 20s. Whoa. We were at the Ritz Carlton in Paris and we were at the bar. And I said, Do famous people ever come into this bar? And he nodded his head up as Yoko Ono was walking <gasps> Does in. Does she have the long hair and the glasses? No, but she was wearing the hat. Uh-huh. I mean, it wasn't that long. It wasn't the 80s. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Does she, she, still, did, did she cut her hair since? I don't I, know. Yes. But anyway, John Lennon and Yoko Ono moved to New York and this is when they take up residency at the Dakota. I just thought that was so cool that they picked New York to move to, not like Los Angeles or something. Yeah. Or you know? like home in London or, you know, yeah. or Liverpool or whatever. But, you know, they say that, like, New York was, like, the breath of fresh air that they needed and that John, like, loved New York because people were cool. Matter of fact, was someone asked about what's it like living in Manhattan. They said people are cool. They don't bug you. He loved New York because people didn't bother him. In New York, they respected his privacy and liked him. They'd say, hey, John, how's things going? And they'd shake his hand. Hey, John, I love your music or something. But they, they, uh, they didn't pester him. He was saying, like, in New York, people will come up and say hi and, like, shake your hand and ask for an autograph, but then they'll leave you alone. They're yeah, not going to, yeah. like, cry and freak out. Or they'll and... just pass you and be like, hey, I loved Revolver. Yeah, uh, totally. And then just keep walking or whatever. <laughs> but by 1971, John and Yoko are more political than ever. Like, the Nixon administration yeah. starts a campaign to silence John Lennon. This and I'm like, is so wild. Speaking of lightening up, Nixon. Exactly. No fun at all. No. Just, like, the captain of the no fun police. Because they're saying that, like, they were afraid that he was, you know, that John Lennon was going to get a bunch of, like, young people registered as Democrats who, who were voting for the first time would vote against Nixon. They start like following him around. Monitoring him. Someone says it was the whole intelligence enchilada. I know. It's like, let's not prevent people from voting. I, I don't know. understand. Like, I ugh. thought of you. That guy's name is Elliot Mintz. He's the publicist and friend of John Lennon. And when he said it was the whole intelligence enchilada, I was like, Jillian's going to like that. <laughs> Highlighted and everything. Um, you never disappoint, GP. Yeah, right? You never disappoint. But like the point is everyone who needs to lighten up. Like this is happening because he has so much influence, aka he's more popular than Jesus. Like yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh my God. So I don't know. That's a, that's a bold, more popular than Jesus. With young kids listening to music? I think okay. so. All right. They'll listen to those. They'll analyze those lyrics. Yeah. And not like analyze the Bible. You know, my mom was really into the historical Jesus. I know that. My mom was like all about understanding like what Jesus was like as an actual human. Right. And I was like raised with that. Yeah. We would talk about like the real Jesus all the time. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know. What did you learn about it? I don't remember him? a lot. But okay. like, I, re- I just remember being like, oh yeah, he was real. Like he's not just like a person from like stories. Like sure. he really existed. James Cameron once thought he found his home. James Cameron made a whole documentary once about finding the, the, the Jesus family tomb in Israel. And they were going to like try to exhume it. W- look it up. It's real. James Cameron made this documentary. What? Yeah, the Jesus family tomb. Whoa. I know. My mind I know. is... See, you can talk about the Beatles, I can talk about the historical <laughs> Jesus, Jillian, all day long. You know what I mean with more popular... You yeah, know how I'm Jill. saying that, right? I'm yeah. like, okay, whatever. I'm just saying in a certain faction of people who are uh. listening to records. 
So Nixon leaves office due to the Watergate scandal. By 1975, they say John Lennon had withdrawn from public life. And they say that, that guy, Elliot, that whole enchilada guy, yeah. is back. To, God, I'm starving. Whole enchilada Elliot is like, he wasn't a recluse. He wasn't in hiding. He was devoting his full time to raising his sons. Right, because in 1975, Sean Lennon was born. Yeah. So yeah, like John and Yoko are mainstays in the neighborhood, but they're like super focused on raising their kids. How cool would that be? Like you just live on the Upper West Side in 1980 and you're right. like walking to the bagel shop like, and you see John Lennon all Oh my are. God. That's like why people move to New York. Right. You know? Yeah. So, and well, we have other things. Well, there are, there's like the Statue of Liberty <laughs> the and all that. The pizza's real good. The pizza's okay. But sometimes you see a famous person in your neighborhood. <laughs> That's right. So in 1980, John Lennon is 40 and he comes out of retirement and releases an album with Yoko called Double Fantasy. Yes. I, I just want to say too, they say that like with this new album, people are saying that like he has entered a promising new phase. Yeah. People are into it. So I was wrong about them not liking it before. No, I mean, people are just like following the careers of the Beatles. Yes. You know, like yeah. you just like to see what they were doing next, I guess. Like, yeah. And why wouldn't you? Of course. You know? Paul's been dead for decades. <laughs> Can you imagine? My mom was sitting at the table being like, wait a second. I know, I know. Well, you're, you're telling I me. Know. If you're just hearing that theory for the first time, it is a bit of a mind blower. But, it, but what her mind was most blown about was that like she was sitting across from someone who believed it with their heart and soul and their bones. I know, I know. Like that yeah, was yeah, the yeah. thing. She was like, that's crazy. You can totally like like dismiss that. But the earth she's, is flat, sure. But Paul is not dead. But when you sit next to someone making eye contact with you being like, let me send you some links. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> what is that's going a, on? Listen, that's like just a, that's a not a far leap to like crazy political emails in 2024. What I'm, you know what I mean? This is what I mean. She's yeah. horrified. So we learn. On the night he shot John Lennon, Mark David Chapman was just 25 years old. It had been 25 years of almost painful anonymity. 25 years of painful anonymity. Like according to him, like that's how he was feeling about right, himself. Right. And the, the Manhattan DA guy is saying that like he was just a regular old 25 year old guy. They like he wanted some claim to notoriety. He wanted to do something important. And that's one of the reasons why he decides to kill John Lennon. I know. Like, holy he, you know, shit. He's the older of two kids, grew up in Georgia, quote, typical suburban family. Yeah. Now, the killer claims that he had a rough childhood. All of the people that the cops spoke to said otherwise. Yeah. I don't know. You never know what goes on behind closed doors, but I'm just saying. And then as he grows up, like, he becomes a little bit lost. He doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. He can't really keep a job. He's just kind of, like, a little aimless and also feeling terrible about himself. But also, like, if that's you in your early 20s, you're doing fine. Oh, God. You're doing fine. Seriously. You know what I mean? Try a bunch of different jobs. Ch- Chapman moves to Hawaii in 1977 to, like, try to find it. Do that. Move to Hawaii for yeah. a year. It's fine. You don't have... I'm not saying this as a joke. Like, you don't have to murder somebody to feel important. No. Oh my God. You know? And like, you know, he can't keep a job, but he does get married. He ends up working as an unarmed guard at a luxury high-rise condo. And he becomes obsessed with the book Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. And Holden Caulfield. This is like, he's not the only one. Like in the early 80s, people were obsessed with this book. Like people, I think the guy who tried to shoot Reagan was also obsessed Uh with J.D. Salinger. This is all coming from the musical Assassins. Okay. Um, But like, but like, I, I mean, I was also in my early 20s obsessed with The Catcher in the Rye. There's a mystique to that book because yeah. it was written by J.D. Salinger, who is a recluse. Like he wrote, he wrote a bunch of other things. I read them all. Some are easier to read than others. Sure. And it's interesting because, like in his other works, there are characters from The Catcher in the Rye that kind of come and go. Oh, so no, there's like a whole universe, kind of. And they, nobody cool. really talks about that. And yeah, like, no, no one's ever read anything but The Catcher in the Rye. Sure. I read them all. But that book does get a. It'll take a hold of you. Yeah, yeah. People. Love it. Yes, People, and it's a, very much a coming-of-age story. Yeah, I read it, 
Because they say, you know, if you haven't read The Catcher in the Rye, and it's been like years since yeah. I have, but the whole thing about like the phonies and the bullies, like Holden yes. is sort of like fighting again, like not physically fighting, but just sort of like encountering a lot of what he calls phonies yes. and bullies. And so like the killer is, that's resonating with the killer in some way. He's, yes. He sees himself as like the Holden Caulfield of his time or whatever. Yes. And he says, Chapman says himself that by the summer of 1980, he was becoming unhinged. And now we cut back to that Larry King interview from 1992. And he's like, Mark, level with me. Why are you blaming a book? (laughs) I wrote that exact quote. Why are you blaming a book? Why are you blaming a book? Can we hear that, Tom? Mark, why are you blaming a book? Why are you blaming a book? Why are you blaming a book? And like, good question. I also, Larry King says out loud, Larry King wonders what J.D. Salinger thinks of this whole thing if he's watching this. Larry, I promise you he's not. But the the killer's like, I actually know. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Because the killer's like, I'm not blaming a book. I blame myself for crawling inside of the book. And I certainly want to say that J.D. Salinger and the Catch in the Rye uh, didn't uh, cause me to kill John Lennon. In fact, I wrote to J.D. Salinger. I got his box number from, from someone. And I apologize to him for this. He got Salinger's P.O. box from somebody. He doesn't tell us who. He wrote him a letter apologizing for the whole thing. Somewhere Michael C. Hall is asking the Dexter killer, like, where (laughs) the fuck is my apology? I know. I know. It's from a couple weeks ago. I wanted to say that, like, there's no way that J.D. Salinger is watching Larry King. But who knows? Like, if Netflix existed back in the day, maybe, like, like, he's a recluse. He wrote a book. Like, he doesn't have to do anything ever again. He's just sitting around his house watching Netflix. He's just, like... Larry King. Channel surfing. Just channel surfing. J.D. Salinger. J.D. Salinger. Write another book. Is he in a lazy boy, in a recliner? <laughs> like, if there's stains on his shirt. Like, what's, what's going here? on, What exactly JD? is going on? What's happening? And he says, like, in, you know, in this 1992 interview, he was like, I was just, like, mad at John Lennon. Like, yeah. he, you know, he saw him as a phony and all this stuff from the book. And the killer would go home and tell his wife about how mad he was at John Lennon. And there was something about that that really struck me as terrifying. Yes. Because it's like, you can hate his music. You can disagree with him politically. Yes. He's a public figure. I guess that comes with the territory. But, like, you're mad at him. I know. You don't know. Him. And he gets enraged. We hear this story that Chapman, the killer, sees in a book a picture of John Lennon standing on the roof of the Dakota. And falling in on myself, I'm angry at seeing him on the Dakota. And I say to myself, that phony, that bastard, I got that mad. I took the book home to my wife and I said, look, he's, he's a phony. Look, he's a phony. Because he's standing on the roof of his building? It's like parasocial before the internet. Yeah. You know, where he's just, but it's like, that's how fucking famous the Beatles were. Like yes. everyone thought they knew him. And then this guy who's a stranger to John Lennon is like, I'm mad at you now. Yeah. And then he's going to let that anger fester and then do something really terrible. And it's kind of like, we do see somebody has his actual calendar from the year that he killed uh-huh. John Lennon. And it's one of those wall calendars that you can like write in the squares and it's it looks methodical like mm. it, like it, there's so much there and scribbled out and crossed and color coded yeah. every box is really like full yeah. it's kind of almost beautiful to look at cuz there's so it looks like art there's so much happening you but, look like it looks like you had a full life and meanwhile i know but it's kind of scary it's like what is going on in his mind it's a lot of anger it's a you lot know? of anger and that's yeah. that's something that's so scary cuz again you can hate his music and disagree with him politically and whatever yeah but, like, we're crossing a very dangerous and scary line here. And we're just, like, we're meeting more people that knew him. We, we meet this writer, James Gaines, who spent, like, 1984, 1985 interviewing Chapman for a book. And, you know, Chapman says to him, like, for years my mind had been, like, a war zone occupied by opposing forces described as the big people and the little people. Yeah, he explains that... He had a, a whole population of little people living in his head to whom he gave instructions, who who had meetings about what his activities should be. I mean... It, 
It was extreme. They would have meetings in his head and give him instructions, which also is, is his own level of terrifying. Yes. You know? Yeah, like he, this is a person who definitely needed like a psychiatric evaluation. Of course. You know? So the killer buys the gun in Hawaii. And this yeah. is October, two months before the murder. He paid $197 in cash for the gun. We have the receipt. That sounds like a lot of money to me for 1980. Like doesn't, like, I mean, aren't guns so easy to get? Are they cheaper now? I don't know. $197 sounds like a lot. I don't know anything about guns I don't at either. all. But, but like, I guess maybe to get buy it in cash under the table. I don't know uh, what yeah. the laws were. Yeah. But also, like, good to know you could just buy a gun and then take it on a plane to New York City. So, I mean, obviously <laughs> the laws have changed because th- that's what happened. That scared the daylights out of me, too. Yeah, He buys anymore. a gun, puts it in his fucking bag, and takes it on a gun and to New York. Remember when we would do d- documentaries about how, like, planes are getting hijacked left, right, and center? Yeah. Like, in the 70s and 80s. This is why, everybody. This is why. You, like, the, not allowing guns on a plane is a really good policy change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when the killer quits his security job, he writes like in the logbook where he was like signing out for the day, he writes John Lennon and And then then crosses crosses it out. And so, uh, so October 29th, he flies to New York City. This is where I was just like, he took the gun on the plane. He took oh, the gun on the how plane. many guns were on that plane? Probably I don't 40. Know. I don't know. Jeez, everyone's got a gun in their bag. Like, oh my God. But we learn when he's coming to New York to kill John Lennon, he has backup targets. Yeah, because someone says he wants to kill a celebrity to bring attention to himself. Now, yes. John was number one, uh-huh. but he had a whole list, shall now, we? Uh, yes. And I was saying, please tell me this is not where these people are learning about this for the first time. Oh, please. How fucking terrifying. Walter Cronkite. Johnny Carson. George C. Scott. Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Marlon Brando. But Lennon was the top choice. But he had a a plan B that was pretty, like, fleshed out. So this is utterly terrifying to me. And I have a lot of friends who work on Broadway, as do you, who have expressed this very fear to me that his plan was, because he still wanted to kill George C. Scott. So his plan was... The defendant said he had front row seats. And his plan was to stand up in the middle of the show and fire into the into the body of George C. Scott. Wasn't a particularly adroit plan because when he went to the gun store to buy bullets in order to uh, to have ammunition for his gun, he was told that in New York you cannot buy bullets for your gun. And the only reason he didn't do it was because when he got to the ammunition store in New York, he was told he can't buy ammunition in New York. Thank you, New York. I'm dying. Thank you, New York. You saved George C. Scott's life and probably Broadway. Like, Jesus bro- Christ. If something like that happened in a Broadway theater, not only the tragedy of who it happened to, but nobody would ever go back to a Broadway no. show. That's why the metal detectors are there. God. So after two weeks in New York, he goes back to Hawaii. Yes. And this is where he tells his wife that he's obsessed with John Lennon. And plans to kill him. He and, tells her that. And now here's a note. Yoko Ono is Japanese. Yeah. This guy's wife is Japanese-American. Oh. And I just thought that was... Well, be- interesting. Yeah, she convinces him to make an appointment with a psychologist and he doesn't keep it. No. And also like but what it's is- also like can you call the cops? What is his wife? And I'm just, I'm not blaming her. I'm just asking, like, yeah. what is he telling her he's doing in New York City? But I mean, according to this documentary, he told her he wanted to kill John Lennon. God. You know? Like, yeah, he was supposed to go to therapy in Hawaii, but he blows it off completely. Yeah. And then by December 1980, he heads back to New York. He makes a pit stop in Atlanta to buy five bullets. Here's the question. Could you not bring ammunition? So maybe you could bring an unloaded gun on a plane? Because I'm like, why are you buying ammunition? Why aren't you just bringing it in the gun? Well, if he makes a pit stop in Atlanta, he buys the bullets. Then he gets back on the plane with a loaded gun. But I'm, oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. He could, yeah. ideally. Unless right? he drove from Atlanta. I don't know. Unless the, he kept them in like the packet, unless he didn't open the bullets. You know what I mean? The 80s and the airplanes were wild. Yeah. And also, I guess you couldn't, I guess you, there were just tighter laws in, in New York where you yeah. couldn't just like buy yeah. bullets. New York has always had tighter gun laws. Yeah. So we're, we're like, I've always felt a little bit safer a here. A little bit, but yeah. who the fuck? Gun laws mean nothing. I know. Anyone I know. can get a gun anywhere. I like, know. And, uh, sneak it in. Oh my it's, like, God. Ridiculous. Why do we even bother? I don't know. I really, it's <laughs> oh an excellent question. <laughs>
So it's December 6th, and the killer parks outside the Dakota with a bunch of other fans who are waiting for John Lennon. And this is where I was like, oh, please don't do this, everybody. Yeah. But I mean, like, I, I, it immediately conjured images of that Taylor Swift going to Jack Antonoff's, like, rehearsal dinner. Oh, God. And all those people or just, like, up. trying to go home to her own apartment. Oh, my God. When I was down in the West Village the other day in front of her apartment, and people were just sitting in front of it. They're just standing there. And I'm like, we don't even know if she's in New York. Doesn't matter. And the thing that she started doing, and many celebrities do this, too, is they don't respond at all. Uh-huh. So you not only you don't get the photo, but by not encouraging people, yeah. and this isn't a hot take, people have been doing this for years, but if people are like, oh, I, I was I was camped out inside of her home and she didn't smile at uh-huh. me, what a monster. She's doing that, or any of these people are doing that to not encourage people. Yeah. Like, if I don't give you anything, maybe you won't I camp thought, out, but it's like, Taylor, that ship has sailed. I know. You're I too thought, famous. But like, this is the thing that is that makes me so skip. He just wanted to be a nice guy. He just right. wanted to be available. So to paint a picture, there are these fans who just camp out outside of the Dakota yeah. all all day long. And the way the Dakota is built, if you've never seen it, it's like a, it has like a courtyard and like, it, like you drive your car through this like archway into the courtyard and that's where you would like get out of it. But that's also where the entrance to the building is for the people who live there. Right. So like the archway is kind of where people are waiting. It's on 72nd Street. Yeah. And I'm sure he must have said to Jose the doorman, like, it's cool. They can it's stay fine. if they're, yeah. if, if they're like, I guess being quiet and whatever. Like, that's the dream. You just want to be accessible. And like, there are other people who, other famous people who live in that hotel, other non-famous people who live in that apartment. So yeah. like, I don't know how happy they were about And Bancroft has a story about how she heard the gunshots. Jesus Christ. She wasn't living there, but she was staying with a friend that night. Oh my God. I know. So it's December 8th. Around 3 a.m. on the morning of December 8th, Chapman checks in with his wife back in Hawaii. After hanging up, Chapman takes his Bible from his suitcase and turns to the New Testament book of John. He writes the name Lennon after the words, the gospel according to John. The gospel according to John Lennon. I know. And I'm like, that's not blasphemous to you, born again? I know. <laughs> really? Know. The quote about how the Beatles are popular? I know. Is too, is too offensive? Because what happened was he went to the Dakota the first night. John didn't come or go, so we didn't see him. Right. He leaves at three in the morning. Around 8 a.m. the next day, he goes back to the Dakota. And he said, as he was leaving his hotel room, he had some kind of premonition that this was the last time I was going to be leaving my hotel room. He said, I hadn't seen John up to that point. I wasn't even sure if he was in the building, but something was telling him, like, this is it. Today is the Yeah, day. I don't buy that it's a fucking premonition. You I wanted know. to commit murder. That's that's what all that is. I know. That's like and wishful thinking. He says he left his hotel room, buys a copy of The Catcher in the Rye, signs it to Holden Caulfield from Holden Caulfield, and then under that he writes, this is my statement. And he underlined this. Yeah. This and so is like my the book is his statement. Like, okay. I know. Like, make sense of my murder through this book. Like, fuck you. I know. So like, he, fuck you. Like, shut fuck up. you, shut guy. Up. Yeah. Shut up. So he runs into this guy, Paul, and Paul is an amateur photographer. And he knew John Lennon a little bit because he was always out at the Dakota, always taking photos of John. And they became like sort of like pretty cordial. They become like buddies. And then John uses one of this guy's photos for the cover of his like most recent single. Right. That's the dream. Right. You know what I mean? And Paul is here to tell us what happened. Yeah. So it's 1130 a.m. and the killer is standing outside waiting for John and he's holding the album Double Fantasy, which is like the photo that Paul took. It had just come out a month before. And the killer turns to Paul do you work for John? Yeah. And Paul's like, no, I don't work for him. And the killer goes, well, are you waiting for him? And Paul's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And so they talk. They're like making small talk. They're just like chatting. And he said, I'm from Hawaii. What struck me strange is when he said that, he had a Southern accent. So I said, well, if you're from Hawaii, how come you have a Southern accent? And he said, well, originally I'm from Georgia. And I said, oh, 
So I then said, well, where are you staying while you're in the city? And with that, he turned to me and said, why do you want to know? Why do you want to know? Why are you asking me all these questions? And yeah. Paul's like, I really don't need to be talking to anybody. I know. Like, I'm just trying to be a nice guy. It's just like the first red flag. It's just like, oh my God, he's just like a sitting duck. Like, he, they, people just knew where, it just makes me so sad for yeah. him. So it's five o'clock and John and Yoko are leaving for a recording session. And yeah. the killer hands John Lennon his copy of the album. And he doesn't say a word. And John's like, do you want me to sign this? Or are you? I've heard it. You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you handing, like, do you want me to like, listen you to want this? Me to, like, what do you, like, what can I do for you? Yeah, yeah. And the killer just nods. Yeah. And so John takes the album and signs it. And Paul has a photo of I John know. Lennon signing this. And you see the killer in the background. Yeah, because what's going to happen is, like, John's going to go to his recording session, come back, and, like, he's going to be killed by this guy. Right. So, like, this is a couple hours before John Lennon's death signing an autograph for his killer. The fucking killer? I mean, it's crazy. I mean... We're cutting back to Larry King because we're in that 1990 interview. Chapman is saying, like, John looked at me and said, is this it? Do you want anything else? And he says, I believe when he looked at me in the eyes, he knew that I was the guy that was going to kill him. Just like, shut, shut the up. fuck up. Don't make yourself big. Bigger, don't I make know. yourself some fucking You're legend. You're not important. You're, You're not just important. some fucking guy. No. So John and Yoko leave. They go to the studio. And all of these people continue to stay. Like, they got yeah. what they wanted from John. They got eyes on John Lennon. And they saw Yoko Ono. And oh my God, I he know. signed the things, whatever. And they just, like, stay there. That's got to be so annoying for that doorman, Jose. The other people who live in the building, like, yeah. it must be so... They're like, ah, oh, it's John. He's nice. Yeah. I borrowed sugar from Yoko. I'll let him. I'm it's not going to make an issue you know? out of it. And I, up until then, I'm sure it was just, like, a bunch of Beatles and yeah. yeah. You know, like it seems it seems up until now there was no reason for anyone to put an end to this. Right. Now, in yes. 2023, the lens that we have now, we know that this is incredibly dangerous and just not safe. Yeah. But I think there were no issues. Like, hey, you can say like, hey, Paul, like, here's another photo. Yep. Or, like, it, it was just kind of how it was. And it's also like they the, the building is like in, like insanely fancy. Now, I think Yoko like sold her apartment last year finally oh, okay. for like $25 million. Like these are the kinds of apartments that are there. Yeah. But back then in 1980, it was like a, it was full of artists and like Broadway yeah. people and like movie stars, but it was cool. It was like an right. it was like an artsy place. Totally. So three hours go by, and by now it's eight o'clock. And Paul, the photographer, is like, "Well, I'm going to call it a night. They're not coming back. I got my photo. I yep. got to say hi, whatever." And the killer's like, "The guy Mark came over to me and said, are you leaving?'" And I said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, I don't know if I'd leave. You might not see him again." And I said, "What are you talking about? I see him all the time." And he said, "Well, you never know. He might go to Spain or something." And You'll never see him again. He could like move to Spain or something and you'll never see him again. I was like, whoa. What? Like red flags everywhere. And Paul's like, all right, dude, I basically live outside the Dakota. I'll uh -huh. see you tomorrow. Uh -huh. Like we start at 8 a.m. bright and early. Like you bring the coffee, I'll bring the bagels. Are like, John and Yoko ever up at eight? Like, come on, you guys. They might be coming home. I don't know. I guess that's true. But and whatever. So Paul's like, all right, weirdo. Like, this is kind of what we do here. We're nice to each other here. And like, we come or I don't know, whatever. But bye. Then after that guy, after the photographer leaves, Mark, the killer is allowed to sit inside the archway that I was just describing while Jose, the doorman, like stands on the sidewalk and has a cigarette. Like, they're so nice to these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're letting them like actually onto the property. Yeah. And the killer stays there for another two and a half hours. Yes. So John and Yoko get home. It's like 1030. And Yoko walks in, allegedly, like nods at the killer because they're just being nice. And they say they, they they do this like 20 feet apart. The limo doesn't pull into the archway. It stays on 72nd Street. Yoko gets out and walks by the killer and nods at him. So John is 20 feet behind her and he looks right at the killer, walks right by him because this happens all the time, right? The same yeah. people are there. Like it's not uncommon for John to come home six hours later and yes. see the same people. Sit. Like that's not weird to him. Uh, like that's his life right now, yeah. right? So John Lennon is a few feet away. The killer takes out his gun. 
and he fires five times, and the first shot misses. Now, to be clear, John has walked past him. He's firing into John. He shoots John Lennon in the back. Right. So... Jose, the doorman, runs up. He's hysterical. Yeah. But in this emotional state, he manages to get the gun away from the killer and kick it down the sidewalk. Yeah. I mean, that that is like, that's, that's, that's out of the, the movie. That's the car up over the baby, don't, right? That's just like superhuman yes, strength of yes. like, no, like this guy's danger. Like, yes. get him, get this gun away from him. Because like, imagine the relationship that like John Lennon has with Jose, the doorman. Of course. You know what I mean? He like knows his kids, I'm sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you love this person. Of course. And I, and he's seen John Lennon interact with his fans on a daily basis. Yeah. Like, that, that's kind of an interesting perspective to have of like one of the most famous people ever, yeah, right? Yeah. So just to be clear, after being shot four times in the back, a mortally wounded John Lennon staggers up the stairs to the reception area and collapses. And collapses. So the killer says this thing here, I guess on that interview or one of his many interviews because he won't shut the fuck up. And I was just, I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. I took the catch in the rye out of my pocket. I paced. I tried to read it. I, I just couldn't wait till those police got there. I was just devastated. He just killed a guy and he's pulling out Catcher in the Rye to pass the time. And he's devastated. He can't wait for the cops to get yeah. there. If you're so devastated, yeah. like, I can't. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Dr. Stephen Lynn is the attending and the cops bring in John Lennon and they can't get any vitals. But they don't know it's John Lennon. They don't know they, it's John They bring Lennon. in a guy surrounded by cops on a stretcher. And like, I, what the doctor says without saying is that like, he eventually will get there. John Lennon is like an icon and amazing. And of right. course we would do anything. But he's like, we would do anything to save anybody's life. You bring someone in, yeah. you, you operate the on the person of, in front of exactly. you. Exactly. There's a crisis here. And this guy, Alan, is a reporter. He's just there because he was in a motorcycle accident. And he has like, he's this like, not covering anything. No. He's just there because he got like. I hope you're okay, Alan. A motorcycle accident okay terrible. But he's definitely. This is like this. This is the story of his life. The story of his life. Yeah. So they're starting to realize. Oh my God! It's fucking John Lennon. Because what happens is the doctor tells us we didn't know who our patient was at that moment in time. It wasn't until the nurses took his wallet out of his pocket, as they always do in the process of identifying, and somebody said, "This says John Lennon." We looked at the body in front of us, and all of us said, "This can't possibly be." John Lennon, but in fact, it was. There's no way that this person could be, but it is. But it's John Lennon. And yeah. no one can believe it. And like the doctors are trying to change his life. And the doctor's like, I literally held John Lennon's heart in my hands. I mean, there's like, nothing I could Because do. they're saying that like the only way to possibly save him because the damage was so bad. Remember, he's been shot in the back. And yeah. he, they're saying four times. The doctor says we had to cut open his chest. And we opened his chest cavity. And it was just blood yeah. everywhere. So he's holding the heart, God. keeping the heart going. I mean, like, do like these doctors are. Amazing. They're, they're Workers, yeah. And so now, you know, John Lennon was announced dead on arrival. There really wasn't anything they could do. Yeah. And now Dr. Lynn has to tell Yoko Ono what happened to John. And this is like, oh, my God, universe. Can you take a breath and not torture the poor woman? I know. Even more? Because as this is in the way, you know, that waiting room, that Muzak? Yes, like, yes. They describe like that, that guy, that reporter that's there by yeah. accident, describes the Muzak. It's a Muzak version. If you don't know what it is, that's like elevator music, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The girl from Ipanema yeah, yeah, is usually exactly. what people do. But in this instance, it's All My Lovin' by the Beatles. Which Shut is like, up. Is that a Beatles song? Yeah. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Oh, you know, come on. Yeah, and, I, and I'll send all my loving to you. Oh, yeah, my that's, God. So then he's like, the song ends and I just hear Yoko Ono like wailing. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know what, universe? Enough. I've had enough today yeah. with you, sweetheart. And he tells he says he has to be the one to tell her. He goes into the into the room where she's waiting. He says, as soon as I walked in, she knew what I was gonna say. The nurse brings in John's rings and give it to her. So she like understood the finality of what had happened here. And she asks, 
She begs them, please do not announce this. They have a son at home, Sean. Yes. Who's so, like at home watching TV. Right. Like, and if you make an announcement, it's going to be all over everywhere. And he's going to find out. For, like, I'm here. I can't get to him. He's going to find out watching right. TV that his dad is dead. And I assume they respected that. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> not everyone in the room respected that. We... Are at Monday Night Football, everybody. Yeah, Frank Gifford is here. And Howard Cassell. And Howard Cassell. They are right. it is, I found the YouTube. This is on YouTube. Oh wow. We can play some of it, Tom. I yeah. Think. It is fucking wild because they go, they're calling the game and they're like, oh, like there are no extra graphics on the screen. Like if you were zoned out, you maybe not have would yeah. not have heard it. Cause they didn't change their tone at all. Mm-hmm. They're just doing like the football announcery thing. So it's like, yeah, you know, there are three seconds left, and we just got some horrifying confirmation that like it, like the tone. Oh my god. We gotta play it. Because yeah. it's you, you can't believe it until you hear it yourself. It is wild. Timeout is called. Three seconds remaining. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. And then they're like, hard to go back to the game after that news flash. So, uh, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Frank. But the only way they got that news was because that guy, Alan Weiss, who was there because he was in the motorcycle accident, he was just there by chance. Yeah. He called and like, maybe he didn't hear Yoko say, please wait, or maybe he didn't care, but he calls like the newsroom. It gets passed up the chain to Monday Night Football. Yeah. And they announce it live and it's like, yeah, indeed it is. And there are three seconds left in the quarter. And I'm like, you oh guys. my God. Oh my God. So it's surreal, and they just, like, go right back into the game. Meanwhile, fans surround the Dakota, and they are singing songs, and everyone is devastated. And by December 10th, John is cremated in a private ceremony. And then they say four days after that, millions of people around the world responded to Yoko Ono's request to pause for 10 minutes of silence to remember John Lennon. She addresses, like, this enormous crowd at the Lincoln Memorial. She goes, that what happened? And is it— is that during the 10 minutes of silence? Yeah, she like ha- had like an address, I guess. And then like every radio station in New York City went off the air for 10 minutes. For 10 minutes of just literal radio silence. Radio silence. Yeah. God. I mean, he was an icon. He was an icon. And there are people who grew up with him and then like introduced the Beatles to their kids. You know, from yeah. 1962 or whatever, to 1960 to 1980. Like that's a generation of people who could be sharing it. Yeah. It's, I, was just, I was just thinking, like, not even as a joke, that, like, you hand the music down to your kids. Yeah. Which is why I love the Indigo Girls. You know what I mean? Like, if I were to tell you sure. about, like, the lesbian icons my mom handed down to me, like, Chris Williamson, Farron, Melissa Etheridge, Katie Lang, all, like, this music that was passed down to me through my, like, my mother's, like, lesbian. It's yeah. just true. You just pass your music down to your kids. That's why I like that stuff. You know? And so that's why people just couldn't. And, 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 because it was so senseless and violent and horrifying. Yeah. You know? Like, they. I think something like this would have happened if he died in his sleep at 98. You, like, you think about that, like, of course, like, I'm not suggesting that anybody else should have been the target, but, like, when you know that there were other people, imagine a world where he didn't get John Lennon, he got somebody else instead, and right. John Lennon would still be alive. Right. And we'd be having, there'd be a documentary about Johnny Carson. Yeah. Or whoever. Right. You know? Oh, my like, God. Or, like, the, the horrible thing that he wanted to do at a Broadway theater. Like, yeah. it could, like, he just needed to be stopped. But let's go back, though, to December 9th. Because the killer, wearing a bulletproof vest, of course, is taken to his arraignment because everyone wants to kill this guy. Right. So, like, while they're arraigning him... Police were searching his hotel room, looking for clues that might reveal his motive. In the hotel room, we found a 
kind of a display of all his stuff. And we had a, a Bible, a passport, photos, uh, and uh, a tape by Todd Rundgren. A tape by Todd Rundgren? <laughs> that you did that because the reporter's like Todd Rundgren who's like just yeah. another musician who is that guy he I've does, heard that name he does songs where you, you're like oh that guy like super 70s like um, like that song where it's like can we still be friends like we can't play this game anymore <laughs> just really 70s stuff right the is that Todd Rundgren you know I don't know how you know the I don't things know. you know it's really weird pockets of yeah, my brain yeah, long division out the window <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. decades ago but Todd Rundgren songs just off the top that off can we top. still be friends I think that's him <laughs> that is so funny it's just very 70s anyway he find, they find airline tickets a letter of introduction from the Young Men's Christian Association a placemat with pictures from the Wizard of Oz yeah like he's just traveling with this stuff a receipt from the YMCA and everything was just like laid out and so we meet his defense attorney named Jonathan Marks and Jonathan Marks wants everyone I'm simply a lawyer (laughs) defending a citizen yeah I watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan like everybody else okay he was appointed like he was appointed not hired he wants everyone to know that he's just doing a job and don't even ask him about a change of venue he says if we if we held this trial in Paris people would know who this guy was I mean obviously yeah obviously and the prosecutor says to us look this was not a whodunit the defendant remained at the scene. There were witnesses who saw them do the shooting. He made no effort to flee the scene. He also told his wife. He told people. Yes. Like, and they say it was clear from the initial investigation that the defendant was going to lodge the insanity defense. Yeah. Now, Dr. Daniel Schwartz did this mental evaluation, right? Yeah. He's here with us today. He interviewed the killer eight times. And he's like, I got to tell you, he knew exactly what he was doing. Like, he used the gun in an all too accurate way, he says. He knew the gun could kill. And he says, Simply being mentally ill does not acquit somebody. It's only if this mental illness impairs his ability to know and appreciate the nature and consequence of his conduct or that it's wrong. It's only if this mental illness impairs your ability to know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. So he's like, he knew. He knew. He knew. And he told everyone like this. There, You can't, you can't. I mean, at different points, he's saying, like, I I wanted anything to be stopped, and then I couldn't believe I did it. I stood there. He knew, like, of course he knew it was wrong. Yeah, and the doctor says, you know, he goes, he was a paranoid schizophrenic, as we understood the definition in those days, and suffering from bipolar disorder. And if we learn more about his childhood, it's like, okay, all these people who said nice things about him, fine, I'm sure he was nice to you, but, like, he started withdrawing at, like, nine or ten years old, and he was, like, hearing the big, he would call them the big people and the little people, and the emperor and the commander. This is a person who needed mental mental yes, health services that, when he was a kid. To hear voices in your head must be absolutely terrifying yes. and debilitating and I could I could not imagine. Yes. But then it's like the killer thought that by killing John Lennon he was also killing himself like he wanted to be important and be invisible but he saw them I think it's like that to Holden from Holden yes, thing yeah. like he saw John Lennon as an extension of himself. So that's 1980. We jump to the 1990 Larry King interview and he's saying nope I'm not crazy I'm not insane it was all me I made the choice to do yeah, it I, wanted I made attention. a bunch of Yes. So he's like taking responsibility for it now. But like at the time they were going for the insanity defense. And well, the prosecutor back at the time was like, fuck this guy. I don't believe this for a second. He's criminally responsible. He wanted attention. Like the prosecutor then is saying what the killer was saying in this 92 interview. Yes. Yes. So 
Six months before the trial, though, the killer changes his plea, and his defense team is not thrilled. They are not, <laughs> not happy. happy. He changes his plea to guilty. Yeah, and so he's sentenced to 20 years to life, and, and he goes to Attica. I don't know what, what it would... If he had gone through the trial as, a like, pleading not guilty, and then he was found guilty, would he... I mean, this guy's never getting out no matter what. I don't know no. why it matters. Yeah, well, because the prosecutor was bummed that there wasn't going to be a trial. Yes. I think he wanted to try the guy. And, that makes sense. Know. That makes but, sense. So, yeah, he's sentenced to 20 years to life, and he does say though on that Larry King interview another thing that was terrifying when he's like finally taking responsibility he goes I realize now that I I really ended a man's life I just saw him as a two-dimensional celebrity with no real feelings he was an album cover to me but that's like I think this happens all the time and this is pre-parasocial relationships as we know them today yes you know like he was just an album cover when you think about what parasocial means like explain that a little bit more it's like when you when someone that you know is like a known person who you feel like you have a relationship with right because they 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 communicate with you sometimes or they're accessible in some way or like Taylor Swift isn't accessible but she's everywhere yeah yeah. so I think people especially if you've grown up listening to her or any other any even like an athlete like anybody yeah because if you think about what John Lennon was doing. He was allowing people to camp out outside his house so he could say hello to them. That is the definition of parasocial. Right. Because John has the boundaries. Right. John knows, oh, I'm just, these are just people, I'm just being nice to them, I'm going to record, I'm with my family. Yeah. But it's not equal. No. Like, they're, it's different. And other celebrities didn't do that. Like, you didn't see that other, it's like stage dooring at John Lennon's house. Every day. Yeah. And never being told you had to leave. And never, and like being able to sit in the archway and you know the doorman's name. And I'm sure, Eventually, maybe they did, but like it just seemed like you know to befriend to befriend the photographer so much to use his photo as the cover of your album. Like, there's so much of that that's fucking rad. Yeah, like that's yes. cool. That is really fucking. Cool. And it's really cool for this guy. Like, it seems like this Paul photographer respected John. Yeah, and respected the boundaries and was just like, hey, I'm just here for the fo- whatever it is. Yeah. Do I agree that you would be there 12 hours a day? Not necessarily, no. but it seems like boundaries were respected at and least. I just wonder, was Yoko ever like, hey, this is kind of a lot. Like, this I don't isn't know. super safe. I don't know. Like, no one ever talks th- about that. I don't know if anyone was thinking about that kind of stuff the way we think about Gun it now. violence wasn't the same then as it is you now. You know? And, like, the, a level of accessibility was different. Like, I think there's a little... There wasn't so much, like, entitlement, I don't think. Where yeah. it's like, oh, you see this person. Like, they were just happy to have the glimpse of them, and there's that's it. There's way more accessibility now, you know what I mean? 100%. With, like, social media and all like, of that. Like, it's crazy. We also do get this argument about, like, you know, in talking about the Larry King interview from the 90s, should we be interviewing this guy or should we not? Like, Probably. Let me focus attention on the wrong area. Probably these are the same kind of people who say we shouldn't be writing about or studying AIDS because it's a very unpleasant, deadly topic. We have an opportunity, particularly with a guy like Mark Chapman, who uh, has agreed to open himself up for exploration and study in hopes of preventing other Mark David Chapmans from coming along. One guy makes the argument that we need to study people like him and other people are saying, no, it gives him publicity. And I'm totally with that we need to study people like him. You know? I agree. I, I, do, I agree to a point. Yeah, I mean, these people should not be allowed to make money, you know? No, no, no. And like, as long as they're telling the truth and they're not just using it as like an excuse to get out of their cell for an hour or whatever. Yeah. But like, if we can learn from serial killers, if we can learn from somebody like this guy like who, who only killed once, yeah. but like did it so... Obsessively, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that in the most outrageous sure. definition of the word. And like, word. what are the signs of someone yes. who could be? And you we know? learned about his mental illness when he was a young kid. Like, we right. need to pay attention to that stuff. Right. It's good to know that. 
guy. Right. Or give people resources. I can't imagine growing up in the 60s and 70s, he felt safe yeah. saying like, hi, like I'm hearing voices. I need help, please. Yes. That like the facilities they had were not good for that back 100%. then. You know, like, so since 2000, he has a parole hearing every two years. He's denied every single time. Yeah. His last one is in 2022. The board denied his parole due to his action leaving, quote, the world recovering from the void of which he created. Oh, so I don't think he's seeing the light of day no. ever. And I, and I think we're all in agreement that that's a good thing. I, let's just, uh, like, enough. Okay, goodbye. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> oh, girl, we did it. It's crime, crime, crime of the century. Crimes of the century. Are we doing more of these? Are these on the cow? There's some of that. Some of them we've already done. We've yeah. done cases, but yes, these are on the cow. Yeah, they have cases that people want to hear about. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. Fam, join us on the Patreon. Over 400 full ad-free bonus episodes to download and binge the second you join. Yeah. It's all the series on Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all Everything. of them. Discovery it's Plus and Disc- Peacock and all of it. Which, like, there's a zillion. There's a zillion. What are we doing next? So we are covering the murder of Amy Harwick. This is the Death by Fame oh. uh, series that's on Discovery Plus. Okay. So, Stay yeah. tuned for the trailer for Stay that, fam. And our ridiculous and hilarious outtakes, of yeah. which I think there's a lot today. I hope so. I know. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> we love you, Tom, our editor. I know. He's so good. Hollywood romances are usually like fairy tales, right? It's all about the aesthetic, what a person looks like, who they are, who they know. It's almost like a Cinderella story. You meet your Prince Charming, and we don't pay attention to other people that may harm them. I think that she probably knew that he was dangerous to a point, but she didn't think he would go that far over the edge. It's the Hollywood dream turned into a nightmare. She was actually obsessed with famous Hollywood murders, and now she had become a famous Hollywood murderer. Okay, do I look like a turtle? No, but I like turtles. So if I said yes, that would be a compliment. I like turtles. What is that? You don't remember? I like turtles. Is it a cute viral it's thing? It's a cute viral fall spooky season thing from like a little kid. He's like wearing a, he's like in like a Dracula face, I think. And he's oh like, my God. A, it's like a, like a local news report. And, and she asks him a silly question. And his, and the, it's like, do you like candy corn? And he goes, I like turtles. I need to see it's this kid. It's so good. Okay, great. I might have to sneeze. Sorry. Ooh. <laughs> Let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> Sorry. I'm intrigued. I think it went away. Okay. Gonna, oh. Oh. Keep me put. What, <laughs> what's know. going on in there? What's going on in there? It's gone. Are you sure? My septum's open now. My deviated <laughs> septum. Okay. It's gone. <laughs> Crisis averted. It'll come when I least expect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> knock me into the back wall. Sorry. I'll disinfect the whole place. <laughs> <laughs> 